Well, uh, back with another edition of the Boulders Extra podcast here on JC Online through SoundCloud. And Sam King, partner in crime here at the Journal and Courier, along with myself, Mike Carmen. It's been a while since we've been able to sit down. I don't think people understand how hard it is to get two people on the same schedule <laughs> to do one of these things. And it, it's been a chore. We've tried, but today, which is what, Wednesday, we uh, we finally got it done. So welcome, Sam, to the, the Potter. Well, thank you. Uh, it seems like every time one of us feels like this is a period where it could work, then there's some sort of news that happens or somebody's given the football program $15 million or, you know, <laughs> all kinds of these things pop up where, okay, now you thought you had an hour or two and you don't. Or I'm covering volleyball, you're covering high school basketball and we're, done, we're not in the same place or I'm just too tired to do it. I think that was one of the one of the reasons one day. I just, I'm too tired. I don't want Last night I went home at, I think, 11.15 <laughs> at night, and I was like, I'm going home early tonight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, our schedules mesh up, and we got a lot to get to uh, regarding uh, Purdue stuff. Uh, but first of all, just give a, give a little bit of shout-out to the volleyball team. They're going to play Baylor on Friday afternoon. Weird time, I think, but that's what TV wants. So that might help Purdue because Baylor might not have as big a crowd there Friday afternoon or in Baylor time. It would be Friday morning. Yes. Um, now, in the end, will that matter? Probably not. But uh, they get number one Baylor uh, in the regional semifinals. They had a couple of impressive performances uh, against Wright State and Marquette to, to win at home in the first and second round. Uh, so, you know, uh Shondell took a team to Florida or Texas several years ago and faced the number one team and beat Florida uh, in the Sweet 16. Don't know if he can do it again, but at least they got a chance. Yeah, and he said he said this team kind of compares to that team where there's no go-to superstar first-team All-American like they've they've had in recent years. Uh, now it's just kind of a cumulative effort where they've got three or four different girls that can be your your go-to player on any given night. Kate Kate Lanoon's pretty good though. She is very good. Yes, and Grace <laughs> Cleveland's very good as well. And some Blake Mulder's pretty good, and yeah. they've had some couple couple kids come off the bench and and play play really well. The thing that impressed me in covering their match on Saturday against Marquette, basically they just kicked Marquette's butt at the net. I mean they they blocked so well uh, that that Marquette had a, a I guess, they had the big East Player of the Year and Ali Barber, and I, I can't remember what she ended up with number wise, but I'm not going to say she was a non factor. But she wasn't as big a factor that I thought that she would be, and I think in part because of the way Blue, uh, Purdue blocked at the net. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to block a lot better. I they will. <laughs> yeah, they'll have to. They'll have to probably generate more offense uh, against Baylor uh, to to have a shot. But you know, at least uh, I, I think Dave feels confident about their chances going down there to play them. Whether it ends up with a victory or not, you know, wait and see. But that's Friday. Uh, at noon and they're they're still alive in the in the tournament and uh, this was a big hurdle for them to get to the sweet 16 for the first time since uh 2013 they've got a lot of those players coming back next year why right yes they they have two seniors shivana katino and, and blake moeller um blake is a huge loss she's a redshirt senior she's started for four years but uh you know they've done a great job there uh it's remarkable the sustainability this program has had i think uh taking all programs 
maybe over the last 10 years, it's been the one on campus that every year you can count on that, hey, that's going to be a top 25 team bringing in big-time recruits. And they, they've done it. Uh, they you know, they probably need another breakthrough, and that's getting to the Final Four. Don't know if this is the team to do it, but uh, you know, Dave obviously has recruited well that uh, he puts himself in a position to, to have that chance. Uh, so that's coming up Friday at noon, and then if they win, they'll play Saturday afternoon in the in the regional championship. But uh, we're going to go to football now, and we're going to start with the latest thing that has happened, and that is the uh, dismissal of uh, co-defensive coordinator Nick Holt. That came down on uh, Monday, uh, one day after the banquet. And for me, not a surprise. I think I – Probably saw this coming early in the year when Nick was sent up to the press box at Nevada. Uh, and then both Jeff and Nick, Jeff Brom and Nick Holt, just kind of deflected questions about it. And you could kind of get a sense there was there was something going on. A little hostility between <laughs> Well, I don't know if I'd use that word, but there just there was a there was a disconnect going on there that uh that you could tell that this was probably going to be the end result, assuming the defense didn't didn't play up to the level that Jeff Brown wanted it to play to. Now, you have injuries that are involved in that. Lorenzo Neal doesn't play all year. You don't have Marcus Bailey for most of the year. Some other things happen. You don't have the depth. Uh, at, you know, at the end, it's, it's about production or keeping guys, you know, keeping opponents out of the end zone and off the field on third down. Uh, but it's, you know, it's clear Jeff Brown wants to make a change in that area. And, uh, he did. And now the, the question is, will they, will they keep the same scheme system or are they going to blow it up and try something completely different? Yeah. Uh, well, after the, uh, IU game, he basically coach Brown alluded to in his post game press conference that the offense played well enough to win that game. And you should win a game when you have 40 plus points. Um, a problem all year was the third downs and in that game even you get them in third and long situations and they're converting third and eights you know third and 13s those are you think all you have to do is not give up the yards you can let them hit a short pass or um, you know but when they get that first down it's basically like a injecting a a surge of energy into the offense and then they feel like now uh, let's get it going again so that was a problem all year long for Purdue Uh, Nick Holt obviously is a very very fiery guy. Uh, anybody who's seen him on the sideline uh, can attest to that. Um, I think some of the players kind of fed off of that. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't matter now because somebody else is going to be leading that team uh, on the defensive side. Well, and I, I'll go back to the Nevada game where he wasn't on the sideline and they had a 17-point lead and they let that go away. Uh, you could tell the momentum Nevada was building that night that was going to lead to them winning the game. And I contend that if Nick Holt's on the sideline, that Purdue probably wins that game because they just needed to make one stop. And depending on who you talk to, whether Kenneth Major made that interception in the end zone that night, it wasn't ruled an interception. That would have been the stop. My bigger point is that I, I the defense looked lost. They needed needed their leader there. And that whole Nevada meltdown fiasco kind of set the tone uh, for, the whole, for the whole season. But um, it appeared that this was the path we were headed on. You know, Nick Holt can coach. He, there's no question about that. But when but when you're out of alignment as much as that defense was this year, and I can – watching the Indiana game on TV from Florida, when you don't line up over the other team's best receiver and then he scores a touchdown, 
you know, that's, it's, and I'm sure they prepared for that. And, you know, they, they went over a million times, but it didn't happen. And it's, it, at the end, it's a poor reflection of what, maybe what was going on there. Yeah. And that's one of the things going into that game. Um, I think I said, well, Phil, you're probably won't have a big game because <laughs> that's the guy you, you got to focus on. And then lo and behold, he has a huge game and uh, is running down the field with nobody guarding him at, at times or at least one time. Um, so yeah, that's concerning. Uh, and I think the thing that, you know, you talk about the injuries, but other guys did step up. And that's one of the things that, um, that Derek Barnes talked about after the last game was, you know, George played way better than we thought he would this year as a freshman, to be honest, he said, and and he said, I stepped up a lot, uh, kind of had to be the leader of this defense. Um, it benefits you going forward. That doesn't mean anything for the season we just watched, but uh, whoever does come in and take over, they've got some experienced guys. They, they need more of them, obviously. Um, Lorenzo Neal, depending on what kind of a Lorenzo Neal you get back, should help, but you know, they need help at linebacker. They need help on the line. And the secondary uh, looks like it's pretty decent and pretty young this year. So you've got things to work with. Well, you go back to the Wisconsin game the week before IU where Wisconsin didn't punt uh, in a game. And that's, that's, again, that's a, that's a, that's not a good look for a defense, but also the kind of the soft coverage that was being played by the secondary, you know, Purdue didn't play, didn't, didn't uh, have a lot of pass rush this year or they didn't get to the quarterback as much as they wanted to, in part because of some of the injuries, but also it's just you're dealing with George Karloftis, young guy, needs some more experience. Derek Barnes played well, but they didn't get enough pressure where you you would you didn't think they would play that soft uh, in the secondary. And, you know, Wisconsin's quarterback just had a field day uh, that day. But you can also go back to last year when uh, Purdue played Michigan State. Uh, after they'd beaten Ohio State, and it was kind of the same coverage against a walk-on quarterback mm. because uh, I think Brian Lewerke could not play that day, and they brought in some cat named Rocky Lombardi, and uh, he had a field day against Purdue against what looked like pretty pretty soft coverage. And even when Jeff Brown was asked about it, either that day or on Monday at his, at his next press conference. He, he he didn't seem happy about it. But all year there seemed to be a disconnect between what Brom would say and what would happen on Saturday as far as a game plan perspective. And it just never seemed, it never seemed to jive. And when this all started in 2017, it looked like a good partnership between Brom calling the offense, Nick Colton, experienced play caller on defense, and it looked like a good situation that Purdue, Purdue found itself in probably the best situation that it could find itself with that much experience on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and, and even you go back, I think Minnesota probably got some guys on the All-Big Ten team in one day against Purdue. So <laughs> yes, running those RPOs. So, I, you know, the question is now, who, where do you go? You know, Jeff Brown's got a list. You know, he did, just didn't wake up the other day and decide to do this. He has an idea of where he wants to go, what kind of defense he wants to – wants to play and with the way college football is right now you've got to be able to defend the rpos uh but you also have to have the talent to defend the rpos and that's it's one thing to have the scheme you got to have the talent they've got they've got some big needs uh on defense and as you as you said we don't know what version of lorenzo neal we're going to have uh next year you know you do have george and you have Derek barnes at the ends uh, assuming they they stay in those positions but they need a lot of help at linebacker. And the secondary's got some 
got some promise back there, but um, linebacker is going to be the big thing that they have to they have to fill some holes quickly, whether it be graduate transfers or junior college players. Yeah, or you know we've seen in the past where you take offensive guys and move them over. I don't know if they, that's something they would think about, but uh, you know they're deep at tight end. Maybe is a position. I don't know what those guys look like on the other side of the ball, but do you start thinking about things like that as you go into the spring? Well, they don't have a lot of tight ends to spare. Because <laughs> you had one leave in September, Darius Pittman. Now you have uh, you have Payne Durham, you have uh, Garrett Miller, and uh, Kyle uh, Billado uh, as your as your main tight ends. I don't I don't think any of those three will be moving to the defensive side. But they've they've you know you, you look at potentially next year's lineup on defense on the front. You would have Barnes, Neal, maybe Anthony Watson, then George. And that allows you, you know, guys like Branson Dean and Lawrence Johnson and some other guys maybe to to rotate in there with Watts and Neal. And they, those guys got some pretty good experience this year. And, you know, Lorenzo Neal is, is, is an NFL caliber player when he wants to be and when he's in shape and when he's healthy and all that kind of stuff. So you're bringing in, uh, assuming that he's healthy, a talented guy that can really help this defense regardless of who the coordinator is or what, what scheme they play. I mean, there's only so many things Lorenzo can do. Right. I mean, you're not going to move him to linebacker. No. You're not? <laughs> oh, I did. I thought, I, you, I thought you wanted to. I don't think that's in their best interest <laughs> to do that. I don't think that he, he moves like a linebacker. So, right. uh, But, you know, they've had some defensive guys recently that have said, we're not coming back next year. We're going to look right. for opportunities elsewhere. So that you mentioned transfers. That's where you're going to have to go if you want to get experience at linebacker. That's your best bet is, is going to that transfer portal and seeing who is uh, who has announced they're leaving their current school and see which guys fit your system. And Purdue is currently clearing room on its roster to, to find some graduate transfers and some junior college players uh, to, to maybe fill some of those gaps. Uh, the NCAA portal is a place where players must submit their name uh, in order to get a conversation going with another school and uh, as of today i believe the number is up to eight for purdue uh now uh, a lot of these guys haven't played a lot if any uh i you know this is kind of a purge to me where purdue is kind of has painted a picture to these guys saying you're probably not going to play here so you're best off if you still want to play you need to go somewhere else and all this does is free up scholarship room and allows Purdue to uh, honor the commitments that it already has in the 2020 class, but also add uh, some junior college players and uh, some some um, some graduate transfers uh, down the line. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of those. I think Giovanni's probably the only guy that's played that I recognize that's played a little bit. So uh, the rest of these guys, I'm sure that's the the picture that they did paint is. You've got guys in front of you already. With the guys coming in, they're going to compete with you. So, you know, you stick around for four years and get a degree or you can find a place to play and we'll help you try to find the best fit for you. Uh, that's kind of how it goes with these things a lot of times. It's not – there's no ill will between the player and Purdue or Purdue and the player. Um, they just want to find the best fit for that kid and they realize that, uh, you know, it might be in the best interest if they go somewhere else to try to, to finish their college career. Yeah, Giovanni Rivera is probably the – um, most noteworthy name 
uh, in the portal right now. Uh, I know uh, uh, the other day that uh, Byron Perkins jumped in there. He's a, he's a defensive back, uh, but uh, he, he has not played a whole lot. You've got uh, Alex Criddle, which is probably a recognizable name because he started five games on offensive line. Uh, Tyler Hamilton has uh, played both the receiver and defensive back. You got receiver Jordan Bonner, linebacker Jack Smith. Uh, then you had a walk on Noah Elson is also in there, along with, uh, we mentioned Darius Pittman, a tight end who, who left the program uh, earlier uh, in the year. So you're you're not there's not household names in there, but these all they're also guys that Purdue has determined that probably can't help them, or at least the plan is for them not to help them uh, down the road, and that way it frees up frees up some scholarship room. It's not you know people may think it's a, just a really crappy way to do it, but that's the way it is now. It's the way it is, and this is it's college athletics is a business. This is a business decision to some to some degree. And, you know, that's just, you you can't change it. You just, you just, you just cannot change the way that things work, uh, in this area. Uh, and you know, Jeff Brom coming off a four and eight season probably feels some pressure to turn this thing around and he should feel some pressure to turn this thing around. And I know injuries played a big role in where they ended up, but you, you can't, you can't be four and eight for a long time especially getting the money that he's getting. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't touch on Nick Holt is how this affects the incoming class because national signing day has not happened yet. You have Nick Holt shaking hands with recruits and, and guys that are committed to Purdue, you know, in pictures on Twitter and such. And now he's gone. And, you know, did they commit to the school? Did they commit because they like coach Holt and they like his schemes or whatever it is. This could have an effect with a few of those guys. I know, I just saw you tweet out uh, earlier that Purdue's already lost a guy to Rutgers. So, well, that one uh, it was uh, uh, Max. Uh, I can't Max somebody from New Jersey. Uh, he's a cornerback, and uh, he uh, it, it in a way it made some sense for him to uh, to stay home at New Jersey. Max Melton's his name. I had to look it up here real quick. How how, how quickly we forget when they decommit. Uh, <laughs> dead to me. Yeah, you're dead to me now. Uh, but he has a brother that plays at Rutgers. And, you know, Purdue got a commitment from him in July. You know, Rutgers changed coaches. Greg Schiano. There's a recognizable yeah, name there. Yeah, he's trying to to build his program. And he's, you know, like every other program, every other coach in America, you're looking who, who you can flip at this point. And, you know, it, it would seem like on the surface that was an easy flip. Uh, how much did he – Flip because Nick Holt's not the defensive coordinator. Probably, I, I would say that's that's probably not a big deal right now. It's probably just more of staying close to home. His brother plays there, so you know why not? That would be Purdue's second decommitment. Uh, the other one, Kristen Gonzalez uh, from Texas, who ended up at uh, Colorado, who was committed to Colorado. That's David Blau's brother-in-law. That's probably more of a surprise than uh, this cat. Uh, decommitting but you know it's a it's a valid point you bring up and you know I, I've heard that there are some defensive commitments not happy over what happened uh, with Nick Holt uh, and they might be you know kind of evaluating uh, where they're at right now as far as whether they want to stay with Purdue or look elsewhere you're told not to commit to a coach and all that kind of stuff it's more of the school but 
human nature being what it is, you part of the reason these people commit and come to a school is because of the relationships that are built between coaches and players and families. Yeah. Uh, I guess how quickly do you find the next defensive coordinator or co-defensive coordinator or whatever route they're going to go moving forward? Uh, because that hire is going to have to come in and reach out to all of these guys. If it's before national signing day and try to see if they're still on board and try to make a, a quick relationship in that matter. I wouldn't anticipate, um, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think they'll do anything before the first of the year. Uh, I think that's probably the direction they're headed. And, you know, when these guys come on visits, the, they interact with all the coaches. So um, it's easy to send a, a coach somewhere to calm the waters or whatever, however you want to phrase it, because uh, they all have relationships with them. But they're going to have questions, and that's where the head guy, Jeff Brom, has to come in and and really settle things down and provide the right message uh, for these uh, recruits. But, you know, there's going to be a few of these guys that, you know, are probably going to go back and forth a little bit, whether they want to sign uh, with Purdue coming up on uh, the first day of signing period, which would be a week from today. Uh, so it's not, there's not a lot of time there. Right. And meanwhile, you're trying to fill the rest of the class or rest of the, uh, you know, the re- rest of the roster out. It's also the mid-year signing period for for junior college players. So you Purdue's got kind of two two areas to deal with. The graduate transfers can kind of come later, but um, so Purdue Purdue like all those schools has a couple areas they really need to to focus in on. And as as we mentioned, linebackers a big need when you're looking at junior college players and grad transfers, and also the offensive line they need they need a couple. Ready to make, ready to play guys to step in there and uh, give them a lift next year. And that's a selling point, I'm sure, is uh, coming here and you're probably going to be playing right away. And with the young guys that uh, have been so heavily hyped this year, and some of them very much deservedly so, that was a selling point. You know, you can go to Alabama, but you might sit for two years. You come here, you're going to be starting from the day you get on campus. And uh, some guys just want to play early, and, and some guys want to go and um, try to win national championships or whatever it is. Now, uh, some of these freshmen came in here with, you know, I don't want to say unrealistic expectations, but for example, you talked to George and he said, I want to go there and help Purdue win a national championship. And you're thinking, okay, George, uh, you know, probably not going to happen in the next four years if it does. But on the other side, that's the mindset of the guys that you want to bring into your program is, Hey, I don't tell me that anything's not possible. This is a kid that didn't play football until eighth grade and uh, plays in two state championship games and is the national high school defensive player of the year as a senior in high school. So uh, I think he just realizes I've always won and that's what's going to happen. Just one more thing with uh, the defense. So what, what do you want to see out of the defense next year from Purdue? I mean, other than stopping people. That's the number one goal, but I mean, what what should fans want to see from this defense moving forward? You know, because you're going to get a new coordinator, you're going to get a new voice. So, what should they expect? Well, I think um, I mean it's hard to tell. It seemed like the games that they did okay against the pass, they got run all over, and the games that they did better against the run, they teams just threw all over them. And part of that's you know this is working. That's what we're going to go with. But um, 
George was very much this year, I think, a sellout for the pass rush. And he's going to have to be able to be a run-stop guy as well. I know he's a defensive end and he's a natural pass rusher, but he's going to have to to kind of solidify his game at the college level. Um, no, you don't want to take him away from what he does because he's pretty good at it. But um, they've got to get better. I think you go back to the TCU game and they just and TCU's good at running the football, but they just got bullied and, and pushed back. And you saw that several times over the year. Um, I think the DBs are good Big Ten defensive backs that are, you know, freshmen and sophomores. Um, but they've got to be able to put some pressure on the receivers too at the line of scrimmage and, and maybe get more physical with them. So that's something you would like to see is just kind of more physicalness, more tenacity. Um, somebody has to step up and be the the Marcus Bailey type, the guy that's leading everybody out there and getting them in position and kind of rallying them around and saying, hey, this is not acceptable. One more piece to the Nick Holt dismissal and the possible collateral damage of this is, and you, you deal with this individual more than I do because you cover high schools, but just how will this affect, if, if at all, the recruitment of Yanni Karloftis? Because we do know the relationship between George and Nick Holt was strong. George committed to Purdue on Nick Holt's birthday. Uh, he felt strong, you know, he felt really strong about Nick Holt and his coaching um, and was looking forward to to being playing play a defense that was run by Nick Holt. Now, I don't think, as an outsider here, I don't believe the same relationship between Nick Holt and Yanni Karloftis exists. It doesn't mean that Nick Holt has not been involved, and when Yanni comes to games, obviously he's interacting with Nick and the whole coaching staff, but I guess your sense of how this may impact Yanni's recruitment, if at all. Yeah, uh First of all, anybody who sees George and doesn't know Yanni and thinks they're similar, they couldn't be. They are two totally different people. They may look alike, but that's it. Uh, well, Yanni is a uh, he's six four, but he's not as thick as George. And I think George really transformed his body into more muscle um, this year. But Yanni kind of already had that physique, which is why he started out as a safety slash linebacker, and he's even played kind of tight end slash receiver uh, for West Lafayette's high school team, but. He's, I mean, Yanni's just like George in high school, got offers from every major conference or every Power Five conference team in the Midwest, at least, uh, trickling down to even Florida and, and thereabouts, um, you know, and all the way even to the West Coast. So uh, pretty much anybody you've heard of, um, those schools are interested. Uh, and people thought maybe that was early on or, you know, a couple of years ago, the last name, they were trying to get maybe a package deal out of it. Uh, I think that's no longer the case. Yanni has made his own name. I think that that was very big to him to prove, you know, he didn't have a great statistical year this year, but teams also did not run to his side of the field. So similar uh, to George, they yeah. didn't really run George. George went over, and made a play. George was bigger than every offensive lineman. He <laughs> right. So uh, I think, you know, Yanni is not let out any kind of, at least to me, any sense of where he might be favoring or where he would like to go. I know he, I've seen him walking around with a Michigan cap on a lot. Um, he's gone to Michigan. He's got a, a good relationship with coach Harbaugh there. Um, really liked them, but you know, I think George really liked them too. Uh, the family has a lot of ties to Purdue. Uh, and I just don't have, I don't have a grasp from him where he might go. Now I've talked to other people who are around him, adults, things like that. And they've kind of said, 
You know, I think Yanni's going to end up here, here, here. Purdue is starting to become the one that you hear more than anything else. Um, I know Nick Holt was at uh, one of the games at West Lafayette that I went to this year, and, and Jeff Brown was there too. Uh, they watched that game from the sideline, and uh, Nick Holt was specifically before the game standing next to me watching the uh, linebackers go through their drills. So, uh, yeah, he's had a, a, a hand in trying to get Yanni to come over to Purdue and package those two brothers together again because – uh, the last time they were on the field together, they were celebrating a state championship. Right. No, I decided that's going to be something to watch to see if if Nicole not being with the program has any effect. It may not. It may not. It may not have any any effect on Yanni uh, whatsoever. And I, you know, and I, I think, think Yanni does what he wants. Right. And I, I think that's kind of where I was going. It's like George and Yanni are different people in how they're going to arrive at their college decision. And probably how they arrived at any decision in their life, but they are two different people. And Yanni's, Yanni's kind of his own man, and I think he'll he'll make the best choice for him. He won't make the best choice for everybody. He'll make the best choice for him, and uh, whether that's Purdue or another place. Uh, but I, to me, it's it's re- it's going to be really interesting to follow now to see where how that all plays out because I believe he's he's planning on enrolling early. So a year from now, he's going to be signing, or at least a year from now, he's going to be signing where he's going to go, or, or he maybe he's already made that announcement by this point in a, you know in a year from now, but it's something to track over the next six months or so. Yeah, George definitely took some other people's interest into the equation when he was making his uh, decision, and Yanni's like you said, he's going to take his personal, uh, you know opinions of, of everything and probably make the decision more on his own. Um, now I know Purdue fans are trying to, you know, every chance they get lure him that way. And he, his head coach is a Purdue graduate at the high school level and several Purdue graduates on that staff. Uh, Kelly Kitchell, a former Purdue football player is on that staff. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of influences around him that say, Hey, Purdue's a good place for you to go. Um, and I don't think that you know, he hears them, but I don't know if he listens to them because he's in the end of the day, he's going to make his own decision. The other piece of news that's happened, uh, in the last week or so is that, uh, Purdue, uh, Purdue has accepted $15 million from the Bob Roman family and Ross aid stadiums field will be known as Roman field at Ross aid stadium coming up in 2020. You know, Bob Roman is a very successful businessman in town. Uh, has 30 or so dealerships across the Midwest, uh, Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Um, you can't can't go by anywhere without a Roman commercial. <laughs> you know, going it, for every season. It, it We're go, seeing Santa Bob right now. Right. So maybe we get Santa Bob on the field. Maybe we get Count Bobula on the field. But it's things like that that have, that have made him the popular figure that he that he is. And uh, when I first heard that it was going to be Roman Field, um, I was, you know, I was kind of curious how the community would react to that uh, because you know Bob's been in business a long time, fifty years. I mean, he he advertises with the Journal and Courier, he advertises with everybody. Uh, he's very successful. Uh, he's built he's built an empire of, of cars and everything else that goes with them. Um, he's got a lot, you know. I mean, deal, he's got several dealerships just here Built in town. Built a new Toyota dealership on yeah. State Street just two years ago. So. Yeah, so, I mean, very successful. And 
obviously he, you know, he wants to, to give some money to Purdue, wants to give back. The family does, and they have a strong connection and, and all that. But, uh, just kind of where, how does this, how does this sit with, uh, you think the community out there to, to have, uh, the Roman field at Ross age stadium be, be a, be a thing coming up in, uh, 2020. Yeah. Well, I, I saw a lot of backlash, uh, through social media and, uh, you know, first of all, he's given your program $15 million. You want, you know, better coaches, you want better things for your facilities, uh, that cost money. So <laughs> the business move is to do things like this. It's becoming more and more. I mean, look at every major league baseball stadium is named after some corporation. So this is the way it works. And you said earlier in this podcast, college athletics is a business. Um, you know, is, you know, if somebody else offered more than that, is their name on the field? I don't know. Um, I don't know how the connection was made there. Like, would you be interested in this or did Roman family go to Purdue and say, Hey, we'd like to donate this money if you'll do this. Well, based on, based on what I was told, here's the options. Here's what we're. So you're shopping around. Well, I mean, here's the options. You know, they brought the Roman family in and said, okay, here are the options for naming rights. We have the field. We have the press box, I assume. I don't know what else they're willing to put a name on. Uh, but the field, I think, is the number one thing, was the most expensive item on the list. And that's that's what the Roman family chose. They, they could have picked something else. They could have picked uh, put their name on the goalpost, for all I know, or on the, on the new uh, scoreboard, or... Um, maybe somewhere in the north end zone, but this is the one that they that they they picked, and I believe it's the most expensive option on the table, well, so to speak. I think most people's um, you know disdain for this is that it's not named Joe Tiller Field, um, because a lot of people when they announced that an announcement was coming um, and they were going to be naming the field, I think a lot of people in their mind assumed. This is going to be Joe Tiller Field, named after you know the best coach Purdue's had since Jack Mellencoff. And uh, then when that didn't happen, then they were upset. Here's where I come down on this. I have no qualms with Purdue getting $15 million, million from the Roman family to do this. I got, I got no problem with that. Because it is, it is a business, and you know this $15 million is going to help fund uh, the Ross aid renovation, which is all going to be privately funded because Purdue is maxed out from a debt capacity standpoint. They just basically can't take on any more loans and have to pay that back. Think of this as your household where, okay, I can't take out any more loans to build the deck or take care of the washing machine or whatever. I mean, I just have to live with this the way it is. I'm maxed out on my credit cards and maxed out everywhere. That's Purdue right now. That's Purdue athletics. They're kind of maxed out. They just, they have to pay a $14 million uh, debt capacity every year. And it's like your mortgage. It just it goes down a little at a time, a little at a time. They still haven't paid off Ross Aid Stadium for the first time back in the early 2000s or late, late 90s, early 2000s. But you need this kind of money to do business. The other part of it is Purdue fans have clamored and clamored and clamored for years that they wanted an athletic director, they wanted an athletic department, you want a president, you wanted a board of trustees put the chips in for football and men's basketball. They're doing that right now. They did that when they hired Mike, Mike Mobinski. They did that when they hired Jeff Brom. They put all their chips in the table, and they spent a lot of money to beef up 
the, the football program, beef up the athletic department, and also do some things with men's basketball. And they've too. invested in Matt Painter. Yeah, so. they've invested in Matt Painter. They've invested in a lot of things uh, to make football – uh, bring it up to a level where it's competitive and give them the resources they need to compete from recruiting, you know, the big, the big building that they have now, the $65 million building they have and all that kind of stuff. So they put, they, you know, they put their chips in the middle of the table, so to speak. So you have to go out and raise money now for your next project, which is Ross aid stadium. And if you have a family or an individual that wants to be involved in that, you almost have to, I mean, you have to, you have to, you have to make it happen because you did. You can't say, "Nah, we don't want your fifteen million dollars." Right. I just don't. I just don't think so. Now, my issue, again, it's not with Rarman or the name. My issue that Purdue still has not done anything for Joe Tiller other than put up a street sign. That's it. Yeah. Now, I, I've been a, I've been a bang the drum guy that it should be Tiller filled. I've, you know, I've written that. I've said it. Uh, over the years, especially as um, as we knew that uh, he, he was getting ready to pass a few years ago, that that would have been a nice recognition to do at that time. Mm. But the problem is you have more people now in, in the administration and even on the board of trustees and the president and higher up in the, in the university that have no connection to Joe Tiller. Mm. They were not here when Tiller had his run of 10 bowl games in 12 years and the impact that it had. With much less resources than right. the football program has now. Yeah, give Joe Tiller the resources that Jeff Brom has and how many Big Ten West titles you gonna, are you going to get? And, he, you know, Joe didn't coach in the division setup. He, right. he, come, he, he coached when there was one through 12, and that's, that's, how, that's what you had to deal with. But that's my point is that Purdue has done really nothing for Joe Tiller you know, since he retired and obviously they haven't done anything since he passed to, to really truly recognize him now that, you know, they tried, there was talk of getting a statue, but Purdue, Purdue's not going to do statues yeah. anymore. That's John, what they John said. Wooden gets one. That's well, you know, I think, you know, whether Arnett, Joe's wife had raised the money to get a statue. Yeah. I don't know. Only, only she knows that for sure. But the fact that Purdue is not willing to go that direction. But, okay, say, if Purdue wants to say no to a statue, that's their prerogative. But here's what Purdue should say next. Okay, what can, you know, what can we do to honor Joe Tiller? What, right. what, can, what can be done? And, you know, just be, just be transparent about it. Just say, we don't want to put his name on the field because we want to sell that. Right. <laughs> I know that's, that's hard, that's that's hard to saying. say to somebody. Whether it's uh, some sort of monument in the stadium or, or something, you know. Right. There, there's plenty of avenues to do it. And the issue is that you just don't have anybody that would drive that train inside that, that athletic department because they're not connected to it. And that's what you lose when you replace people and you move them around or you, you make decisions uh, with personnel because you want to change a new direction going on over there that you lose the institutional knowledge, you lose the connections to the past where things like this just fall through and you, they just don't do it. Well, and, I know one guy that, that could have some input on this would be Drew Brees. Correct. Yeah, I mean, if... If yeah. he comes in there and says, hey, this needs to be done, 
and right. all the money that he's given to their athletic program. That's a guy you have to listen to. You would think Drew and some of the former football players that played for Joe would have some influence over getting something done. But whether they've tried and it just hasn't worked or they haven't tried, I don't I can't tell you that for sure. But again, that's that's my issue, not with it can be Roman Field all at once, but the fact that this this university still hasn't done anything to properly recognize Joe Tiller and what he did is really bothersome. And it bothers a lot of people. It bothers me that they haven't they haven't done this yet. And they won't do it until they're forced to do it. Yeah. Or someone comes to them and says, Here's X millions of dollars, name put Joe's name somewhere, do something. And they'll be driven by the money part of it instead of something that should have been done a decade ago right. under a different administration that never got done. And it's, it's, it's more sad than it is anything else that we're at this point a decade after his career that he's already passed and that there's still nothing at Ross Aid Stadium other than a street sign that right. recognizes You've got a Joe locker Tiller. room. You've got, you know, what – I mean, you're, you're about to renovate Ross Aid Stadium right. and create some new spaces and some new areas. Certainly, Joe Tiller's name can go somewhere in a new Ross Aid Stadium. Granted, you're going to need some money to get that done, and I get that. But Arnett Tiller can get on the line and probably call 10 to 15 former players right. who are in the NFL or played in the NFL and said, this is what we're trying to do. Some of them who are now successful businessmen. Right. And I, you know, I feel like that could happen. That's my soapbox, by the way. Do you like that? I do. It's a great <laughs> awkward transition into basketball. Well, I guess you want to move on then to, to basketball. We, we've been we've been doing this a little bit. Podcasts have no limitations. People listen all the time. We can take you from Indianapolis to Lafayette, Lafayette to Chicago when you listen to a podcast. You don't have to worry about anything, right? That's we what I do. I just get... plug my phone in and... <laughs> But anyway, that's my uh, that's my tiller spiel for 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 the day. But yeah, we should move on to basketball. Uh, Purdue has kind of um, I'm not going to say it's fixed fixed itself because we we don't know for sure. But you know, the pounding of Virginia and then beating Northwestern kind of put Purdue back on the right track. Especially what happened in Florida, where they had just a bunch of turnovers, and some of those were just who you're playing. Because I, I did ask Matt Painter after the Northwestern game, does he feel like the turnover problem is solved? Or is it just based on who'd you play these last two games that are not great pressing teams? And he said, until we see another team like Florida State or VCU, he really can't answer that. And, and he's right. And until they come across a team that's going to press them again. But his concern with the turnovers were more that a lot of the turnovers against Florida State and VCU came in the half court. And that's where you play a majority of basketballs in right. half court. You don't play it. Well, you, know, you don't those, play it full court all the time. And those, that's that's where the that's where the, some of the problems came right. up. No, those mistakes. When I was at the Texas game, that was how they lost the game. Just throwing the ball out of bounds, and you know, guys, you know, throwing a, an errant pass or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, I, I think everybody felt like we're back on track after that Virginia game. And I think it took months and months and months of. <laughs> agonizing over what happened in the NCAA tournament, it made them feel maybe a little bit better about that. Um, obviously you would love to have it 
last year or last season, but um, you feel like, okay, this is who we are. That was, you know, that was probably not what you're going to see out of Purdue all the time or, you know, if ever again this season. Um, I think more of the way this Purdue team is going to win games is what you saw in the Northwestern game. I think it was huge that they did not have – you know, a horrible game. I'm not going to see it as a great game against Northwestern, but yeah, they didn't. They didn't shoot well. Yeah, they didn't shoot well, and that's going to happen to them. But but they won. They didn't have a, a total letdown after that Virginia game coming off of that high. So I think that was the good thing that came out of the Big Ten opener. It was, and the fact. I mean, they were five of twenty-two from three after hitting thirteen against Virginia. You know, this is it, it's another another uh, another example. It's like you just cannot live and die. You can't live by three pointers every every game because they don't they don't go. For, from game to game. Well, you could when you had Carson Edwards, Dakota Mathias. Well, but they were fine. shooting 40 a game at that point too. <laughs> You're five of, they're five of 22, but they found, they found another way to win with now. Granted you're playing Northwestern, which doesn't have a strong team this year, has a bunch of young guys playing in Mackey arena for the first time. So they're somewhat overwhelmed by the environment and it, it worked in Purdue's favor, but this team's not going to shoot well every night, so it has to do other things well. And the, the main thing I'm interested in is the sustainability of the big lineup. Can Matt Harms and Travion Williams, can they, co- can they coexist, and can this lineup and can this team function with those two guys playing a majority of the minutes together and at some point, Maybe it doesn't happen. I mean, in some games it will, but how much will they get hurt defensively by having those two guys on the yeah. floor for an extended period of time? That's something uh, I talked to uh, Matt Painter about after, was it Jacksonville State? Whatever. the I've lost track of what I've covered over the last month. I'm sure you have as well. Uh, I, I said because uh, Travion Williams, I think, fouled out and played less than 20 minutes in that game, and Matt Harms had, I think, four fouls. And, you know, how do you teach these guys? Because teams are going to drive in there and bang up against them and try to draw fouls and get those guys out of the game. How do you teach them to stay vertical, make the play, and not foul? And he said, it is an art to teach that to a guy that big. Like, you can't understand being seven foot three unless you've ever been seven foot three. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, going back, this is going back a few years, but Isaac Haas got a lot of fouls because he was just big. And things that happen look way worse than they are when you're that big. Um, so, you know, you, you got to keep these guys out of foul trouble if you're going to keep them on the floor together, because, you know, if you get these guys both in foul trouble, then, then you're really in a, a situation where, um, you're going to have to live and die by the three, I guess, and not have anybody there to rebound it. Well, that's the thing. You, these guys will get in foul trouble and you're, they're going to have to come out of the game. The key is not getting them both in foul trouble. Right. So that way, at least you have one of them on the floor, but there were a period, there was, there was a stretch against Northwestern where neither one of them. Uh, could be in the game because of some. Uh, I think they had picked up some early fouls because uh, Harms ended up with three fouls and Williams ended up with two that night. Um, but it, you know, again, it was Northwestern, so they had, you know, they were able to to get by with that. But there'll be there'll be periods coming up, maybe Sunday at Nebraska or uh, when obviously they they're going to go play Butler. Butler looks pretty good. Uh, right Butler now. looks really good. Uh, but I, I'm I'm just really. I mean I. I think Painter felt like he had to do something because with with his lineup, number one, uh, because Nojo Eastern is struggling so much with his trying to become an offensive player, 
It's just not yeah. working right now. I mean, he does a lot of other things well, but they do need him to score. Now, when you have Carson Edwards and Klein and Eifert. Yeah, the lanes that were there last year yeah, are not there. Right. And But the other issue is that Aaron Willard's just off to a bad bad start shooting the ball. I mean, he, can, he he's just not shooting the ball well right now. He's doing some other things well, but he's just not shooting the ball well. And uh, Matt Painter just needed – to change things up a little bit, maybe bring bringing Wheeler and Eastern off the bench um, helps them in, in any way possible. And I guess the other thing to look at, does it make Purdue's bench a little bit stronger by bringing those two off the bench? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Nojel Eastern, as you mentioned, does some other things well. He is good at going to the basket, um, but teams were so focused on Carson not going to the basket last year, which is probably why he shot as many threes as he did, um, that no gel was able to drive. Um, you know, Aaron Wheeler is going to, he's going to be fine. Uh, I think in the long run, he's a guy that is a really good shooter. You know, you park him in that corner and he's going to knock it down a lot of times. Um, but when you're, you know, these things go in cycles, when you're struggling, it seems like nothing's going in. And then there will be a day where he'll probably hit four or five threes and then things will be fine and he'll, he'll get on a hot streak. So, uh, I think that, you know, maybe coming off the bench, there's not as much pressure on those guys to come in and feel like we've got to jump out to this big lead. They get to sit back, see how the game is flowing and then come in and, and kind of give that spark. Um, as long as they do this now, I don't know if this is going to be a long-term thing, but if it is something that they do going forward, you know, they've got to have the, the mentality that I'm still helping this team in a big way, even though I'm not having you know, Carson called my name before the, the game as a starter for, for the team. I, I think Wheeler just probably has put a lot of pressure on himself because he was the one probably in the offseason that was the hype most because when he played limited minutes last year, he came in and did some great things. And, you know, then people in our business start comparing him to NBA players and – you know, you, you, you see that or you read that, and it, it does have an effect on you. But now that you're in a in a role that's more prominent, it's 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 a lot to undertake when you haven't done it. And, you know, I agree that he'll be fine. There'll be a role for him. But, you know, for now he's going to have to come out, come off the bench. And, he, you know, he just needs to find his offense. But he's rebounding well, and he's doing a lot of other things well. But he's just – He's not shooting well, and Painter can't have that right now. I don't, I don't see this Purdue team as a great offensive team right now. No, I don't know if they will be this season. Uh, Sasha's kind of become that. I don't want to say same role as Ryan Klein, but he's a guy that stretches the defense a little bit. Um, and he, you know, he's. I think he's been pretty huge this year. He's probably even exceeded my early season expectations of him. But the other guys offensively. Um, you know, Harms has been hit and miss. He's had some good games, but he's got to be a consistent scoring guy every single night for you. Um, and these other guys have to eventually step up um, for this team to even do well in the Big Ten. Um, like you said, I don't think they're going to be a team that's going out and scoring 70 to 80 points regularly. I mean, they got 69 against Virginia, which, you know, Virginia is a good defensive team. But they only got 58 against Northwestern. And I, I just don't. They're going to get in games like they have what, you know, look what happened to Marquette. They get an 18-point lead, and then in the second half they can't score. Yeah. And I think you, you'll probably – Purdue's probably a little bit closer to that than 
than putting up 80 points in a game, especially when you when you get deeper in the Big Ten where everybody knows you and they scout you a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, you're going to get in a lot of rock fights, as as you call it, where first one to 50, first one to 60 is is, is going to win. And I, I don't know if this is going to be a pretty Big Ten season from just a style standpoint. I think this is Purdue going to have to grind out a lot of wins to get, get enough wins in the Big Ten to – to be successful. Well, the good thing is the defense is going to keep you in ideally sure. every, I mean, Purdue is very close to being undefeated right now. If you look at it that way, um, they could have won the games that they lost. So, uh, but they're also games. They win that, you know, the VCU game where you said probably should have lost that game. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be, they're not going to blow anybody out except Virginia. Apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> Going forward, um, you know, uh, maybe Nebraska on Sunday, (laughs) but uh, it's, you know, winning cures all. And I think fans are happy. You know, we don't care if we win 40 to 38 as long as we win. Um, And then they'll complain about there not being any offense. But at the end of the day, if you're in the NCAA tournament and, you know, you're off to at least starting wise, really uh, struggling on the offensive end of the floor, you will take that. And, give yourselves a chance because you know, there's some guys coming in next year as well as some guys that are already here right now, redshirting that, you know, would will help this offense uh, in the future. And I think that this is a big picture year where you see where this program is going forward and maybe more so than what you accomplished this season. And I think that's why Matt Painter is redshirting the two guys he's redshirting. He's not, you know, he's, he's focused on this year and, and this team can still do some, some, some solid things throughout the year. They're not, in, I don't believe in the upper half of the or upper echelon of the Big Ten from a talent perspective, but they're they're right there next to they're right below the Michigan States, the Maryland's, the Michigans, and Ohio States, um, and they could beat those teams on a given night. And Penn State maybe. <laughs> Penn State. I mean, Penn State beats Maryland last night. Um, but my point is that Painter was looking next year, the year after that. To, to really, you know, if, if things go the way they should with what is coming back next for next year and what's coming in, you're looking at a potentially pretty special season in uh, in next year after after you get through this year, uh, just based on all that. But as always, we get ahead of ourselves and we shouldn't. Yeah, but, and the, and people forget now that when you're doing all the recruiting and everything for this year, you were factoring in at the time Carson Edwards was on this team this year. He was, but you're also factoring that he was going to leave after three years. <laughs> that too. And then yeah. when you saw the NCAA tournament last year. Well, but knew. just, I mean, just think of, uh, you know, cause Matt, Matt's talk, Matt Painter's talked about this. If he would have done what he thought he should have done in redshirt Ryan Klein, you know, Ryan Klein would be right. a fifth year guy right now on this team. And then you could talk about a team that's not, that would be, uh, much better offensively and have the potential to to get in that 70 to, to 80 point range on a nightly basis. But I don't know if, as as we've said, I don't know if this team can, I don't think this team is going to be able to do that night in and night out. They may have nights when they do it, but they're not going to do it the next night, I don't think. All right, anything else? Uh, you seem antsy to get out of here. Well, I've got some do you have more a date? to do. When, when, uh, <laughs> when there's just the two of us, we've... Uh, you know, divvy up the duties and it kind of, I feel like I get up and I, I start working at home. Then I come into the office and do work 
and then I go out to a you know either a high school or Purdue or wherever I end up that day, and then I come back and I do more work, go home and go to bed and, and repeat the process. So I uh, sound like I'm complaining, and maybe I am a little bit, but um, there's always stuff to do around here. That, that there is. All right. Well, Sam, we appreciate you stopping by, and uh, if you want to get out, then you you can get out. I don't I don't need you to talk anymore. How about that? You can uh, you can move on and do what you need to do. Uh, but anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the the Bullers Extra podcast. Uh, hopefully, we'll put one out after Sunday's game against Nebraska, and then hopefully, uh, Sam and I can get back together before uh, the holiday season kicks into full gear and kind of wrap up uh, where things stand. Uh, you know, after signing day, uh, which will happen a week from uh, today on uh, Wednesday, December eighteenth. Uh, you know, Prue basketball's got Sunday at Nebraska, Tuesday at Ohio, and then they'll play Butler in the Crossroads Classic uh, a week from Saturday, and that'll that'll uh, take them into the the Christmas break, and then after that they come back and they'll play Central Michigan, and then uh, resume Big Ten play after that. So we'll we'll get a we'll get another podcast up probably sometime, you know, hopefully after the uh, the the Crossroads game and kind of wrap up things and look ahead to what what may happen uh, the rest of the Big Ten season. We appreciate you listening. Uh, subscribe, tell your friends and enemies how to do that, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be back uh, the next time. And Until then, have a good day, and thanks for listening to the Bowlers Extra Podcast.